Welcome to All Bodies on Bikes, the podcast, where all bodies are good bodies, all bikes are good bikes, and all rides should be celebrated. All Bodies on Bikes is a movement to create and foster a size-inclusive bike community. So join your hosts. I'm Maggie. And I'm Marley. As we explore the complexities of the biking world, help us break down barriers and create the world that we want to see. And don't forget that all bodies really means all bodies, not just larger bodies, but bodies of all sizes, ages, races, abilities, genders, sexualities, and beyond. Come along for the ride. Oh, hello and welcome to the All Bodies on Bikes podcast, Marley. Hey. Hi, how are you doing? I'm swell. How are you? I'm good. Uh, this is the second time we get to talk to you today, which is exciting. We're I know. batching some episodes. Look at us being all productive and stuff. Look at us. I'm going to nap so hard after this. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I I need to point out the fact, because I noticed it earlier, your shirt matches your glasses, matches your earphones that you're using, Marley. And it's oh. just, that's next level. Thank you. I'm Actually, you. I'm on theme today. Um, it's hard to tell because they're clear, um, but they're little butts. Um, and then I'm also wearing my all butts on bike shirt. All butts on bikes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and actually, That's fantastic. little segue, this shirt is available for purchase. It oh, all heck yeah. go to all bodies on bikes. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you would also like to wear butts on your shirt and gently scandalize people in your life. <laughs> oh, that's the bumper sticker from this episode. Gently scandalize people in your life. <laughs> All right. If there is a track here to be on, let's get on it. <laughs> we have a special guest with us here today whose name is Rye Ganey. Rye is a photojournalist who specializes in human connections and captivating visual storytelling. As someone who has spent a good portion of their life navigating the overwhelming and isolating and perplexity all the things of chronic illnesses, she puts an emphasis on elevating the stories of folks who don't get the representation and platforms they deserve, and that our society needs to see and hear to remember we are more connected than it seems. So we are mm. so happy to have Rye with us on this episode today. Rye, how are you doing? I'm good. It's, it's nice to be here with y'all, and I'm so stoked to be on the show. <laughs> We are exceptionally stoked also to have you with us. Agreed. So that works out nice. Rye, where are you calling in from? Uh, Durango, Colorado. I've lived here for almost 10 years. Dang. Yeah. That's a beautiful area. I got the chance to go out there earlier. I guess it was last year. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because that's actually how we met. (laughs) Such a great time. (laughs) That was a wild day, but we'll get into that. Well, I met you now just this exact moment yeah so, this like, is, it's happening all here it's, it's happening let's just do the the formalities of like oh my gosh where are you from tell me about yourself yeah maggie where are you from i'm from north carolina so i'm oh a little gosh. outside of charlotte so i'm just i'm over here on the other side of the country from you guys it's fine it's fine yeah, that's amazing did you know that there's like a low-key north carolina to durango pipeline did i i don't think i did actually we yeah, we trade dirt bags all the time. Oh, mm. okay, fantastic! Yeah. I love that. I want to be on the next trade. Somebody, somebody, who do I need to call? Are you in charge of the trades? I would like to be. There's some okay. people that need to be here. Stat, you're included. Hundred percent. Okay, thank you. We'll get that worked out. But yeah, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Um. So I. As was mentioned, I'm a photojournalist. I've been doing that since I was in like high school, even younger, really. But like the first time that I was like, I'm a photojournalist was in high school. Um, And I'm from Texas slash the South. The reason I say the South is because I've got family just like scattered all across the deep South. And so I have childhood memories from Florida and Southern Georgia and South Carolina and Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and many, many road trips and plane trips back and forth between the areas, which has definitely resulted in a very interesting upbringing for myself. Um, just because I was like among the ranks of poverty in the deep South and 
um, a product of a cattle and ranching family in Texas. And so it's just this like entire culture shift, my entire childhood, just back and forth. Um, and so I took up photography because how else are you going to understand such a complex upbringing <laughs> with so many different personalities? Yeah. For sure. Dang. That's pretty cool. What part of Texas? Um, my family is from Wichita Falls, Alney okay. area, which is considered North central Texas. So you have your panhandle, but we're like, not the panhandle. We're like the edge of the North pan is where Wichita Falls is from. <laughs> That's a great way to describe that. <laughs> and so lots of, um, the Northern edge of the white rock escarpment is I think geographically for the rock nerds, the right term. If I'm not, don't come for me. I'm not a geologist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then when I was in eighth grade, we moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, um, which for those who don't know what that is, there's Fort Worth on the west side, Dallas on the east side, and a plethora of suburbs in the middle. And I went to high school in Euless, which is smack dab in the middle. Okay. I don't think we've talked about this. I actually grew up in Hearst. What? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> we, we moved out of there, and I'm a little older than you. Uh, we moved out of there when I was 11. Um, so I didn't end up going to high school there. But yeah, I am intimately familiar with Ulysses and Hearst and Fort Worth and Granbury and oh all gosh. that area. <laughs> For those of you just tuning in, Marley and Rye have just discovered their cousins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to be fair, the DFW Metroplex is gigantic. <laughs> and I recently drove through there. Um, we'll get back on topic in a minute, but I was nah. legitimately so overwhelmed by the number of highways and strip malls and, uh, it was intense. Oh my gosh. When I have like memories and I process the environment I grew up in or pull up a Google map to show people where I grew up, I look for the highway that was closest to that house. Yeah. Like, oh, this was the house over by 360. It's where we watched the planes take off. This was the high, like the house over by 121. It's named after George Bush. <laughs> Welcome to yep. my life in the suburbs of Texas. <laughs> yeah. So from having personal experience, I'm not surprised that you are now in Durango and loving it. Um, because having been to Durango, it is a, kind of an outdoor paradise. It's amazing. And I love it so much. And it's come with so, 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 so many lessons just in the last decade that I've been here, it's just, it's kind of where I came into myself. I, it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere. Um, and I surpassed that like at the five-year mark, um, just because of the whole shuffling back and forth thing. And so it's got, it definitely speaks to an adolescent version of myself very deeply. I frequently think about leaving and going somewhere else to experience something because this is my home. Like, yeah, I grew up in the South, but like Durango is my home. Durango took this scattered little 18 year old child that just didn't know what life was about and built them up um, into who I am now. And so it's just like so emotionally woven into my being now. <laughs> That's so That's cool. Um, well, I noticed when I was looking at your Instagram profile, when I was researching this, um, mm -hmm. that you have your pronouns listed on your Instagram bio, I believe, and you use both she and they pronouns. Um, if you're comfortable with it, I would love to learn more about that. And, uh, you know, what is going on with that? Yeah, totally. Um, so that's been a more recent, um, arrival into my identity, if you will, um, because of Rome Fest. Okay. Actually, let's back um, up. What is what is Rome Fest, real yeah. quickly? Yes. So, Rome Fest, for those who do not know, is this epic bike party festival that is centered around um, women and trans individuals and non-binary individuals who feel safest and most at home in that more inclusive environment. Um, it's not like a teach you how to ride bikes thing. It's a enjoy the fact that we all ride bikes thing, it's which like a I love. Bike party. Yeah, it's just a party. It's a good party with good people. Um, and my first one, my old boss Tina called me up and she was like, "Hey, we need ride leaders like volunteering this week. Do you want to come up to Fruta and just be part of this?" And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was like, 
bikes in the desert. Let's go. Like, <laughs> that's my middle name. Yes. <laughs> and I get out there and I show up to this. And so I, um, I'm an overexerter, uh, in some ways, if things need to be done, I will do them. Um, and so my first Rome Fest, I think it's really funny because I was up until 3 a.m. stuffing sacks, like swag sacks, the Thursday that I pulled in because there were people doing it. And I was like, oh, we've got it. We've got, you know, a conga line of swag sacks going. Let's get these stuffed. It's a party. And as the like the end of the night closes in, somebody is like, why did you stay up with us? And I was like, well, that's what we're here to do. And they're like, yeah, but we're paid. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and that that set the tone for my whole weekend I was like I'm here to help so that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> um go. but it was a very inclusive environment and it was the first environment in my entire life that was so like strictly catered and reserved for the part of the population that I identify with the most that I started to see myself in people but also see the self others wanted me to be and other people who felt mm. comfortable, comfortable in that space. And I was like, you wear it so well. I don't like that. I don't like that for me. And then I saw other people who I did identify with and who I did like see versions of myself in. And I started talking to them and learning about them. And um, McKaylee Oliver was one of them, which is just like, it's an easy segue as another photographer um, and honestly, a gorgeous, badass human. And they were explaining their life to me. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I remember she apologized multiple times for what she felt was rambling. Um, and she wasn't at all. Like she was talking about stuff that she, they were just so passionate about that I was like, I love everything that's happening here. And the weekend continued and I had more conversations with more people. And when I went home, I was having this identity crisis at this point of like, oh, um, I should back up a little bit more. I've done my whole life with people saying, well, you're at least a little gay. Uh, to which my relatable. response, yeah. Well, to which my response was like, no. Like gay was not a bad word in my family. My sister is a lesbian um, and like, it was just a community that we weren't strangers to sure. growing up. Um, my dad's side a little less, like that was more my mom's side of things. Um, but it wasn't an environment that I was uncomfortable in. Like, and so I was certain by the time that I was, you know, 25, 26 at my first Rome Fest, how old am I? <laughs> um, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> happens right <laughs> it does I forget all the time how old I am and then I literally have to do the math and I'm like oh okay it's fine yeah. um maybe 27 I'm only 28 now I don't know 26 I was 26 in my first Rome fest boom got it got it so after 26 years of living in an LGBTQ friendly environment I was like no I'm not gay <laughs> I've had every moment to be empowered to be so like even my sister was like you sure <laughs> Why? Are, I, I mean I don't want to interrupt you but people get so hung up on other people's gender and sexuality and like it just oh my gosh like, we can my go on and favorite, on about this yeah. most affirming thing actually happened this past winter where I was explaining the situation I was like I'm I'm not sexually gay but i'm gender fluid um <laughs> because gender and sexuality that. are two different things yeah they're very different and i didn't know that until i saw i'm a very like visually receptive person um i'm, I'm highly influenceable to it like not to a fault but to a certain extent and then i have to like sit in my own emotions and like just soak them in and then decide if i'm gonna be influenced or not <laughs> i have right. to be like yeah. So, um, and that's kind of what Rome Fest did for me is I was able to see myself and other people that I hadn't had the opportunity before in this massive space that's intended to make these folks feel safe. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Um, I might be fluid. Um, 
and I research everything because I'm super analytical. So I did a super deep dive and I was like, what's the word for what I'm feeling? I don't know what I'm feeling. So I need a word for it. <laughs> and I found 72 different definitions. <laughs> and I read and researched every single one. <laughs> and so there was one where my gut was like, yeah, that's the one. And I found it so funny because it ended up being demigendered, which is on the spectrum of the binary, sort of. And so like, you can be like a 10% gal or a 100% gal, but you're never fixed. You're just sliding back and forth. Mm. And for me, there are elements of it where I do sometimes feel outside of the binary. Um, And so it's this like concoction of just moving back and forth on it, um, which brings me to my pronouns (laughs) of she, they, Um, which is because the they comes in in a possessive form. I am very much, I'd say identity wise, a she, her. Sure. Um, very rarely do I ever identify with the part of myself that feels outside of the the binary. And so I just have varying degrees of feeling like a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they present very differently. I do have a very androgynous side of myself and I have a very like sparkles and unicorns and tutus and like a woo girl. Like my 100% female is just a 12 year old girl. Woo. <laughs> that's what it is like I'm just like sparkles bitch can I say that oh my yes no please (laughs) please say sparkles bitch actually yeah that actually that might might be the title of the episode (laughs) (laughs) anyway please continue (laughs) um and so when I was deciding if being demigendered was going to change how I used my pronouns essentially um I started thinking about what I already do for myself and as a creative business owner I regularly refer to things that come out of my creative treasure chest oh I like that as we like we've done this we've created this like I've already been referring to myself as a they sure um, mostly in terms of like my art. And I was like, oh, then yeah, they is going to be part of my pronouns because I use it and I've been using it. I've been like acknowledging these facets of myself without even realizing. Cause I remember when I was younger, I'd be like, why do I always say we as if it's a collective? Nobody else is doing this. I'm doing this. Like me, me, say me, say I. And I'm like, no, it's we. And it's because, <laughs> <laughs> um, my my emotions um, and the way that I express myself, 5,000% way ahead of my brain at any given moment. Mm, yep, um, yep. All the time. That's like, which I don't know if you're a human design fan or not. I'm, a, I'm an astrology junkie. I am. I love it. It gives me uh, depth. <laughs> What's your sign? I'm a Sagittarius, but I'm a Pisces rising and a Gemini moon. Okay. Um, that's how much I'm into it. I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's funny. I've looked those things up multiple times and I can only remember that I'm a Gemini with like some Leo in there, but that's all I know. And like you say, Sagittarius, oh, I'm like, I yes. don't know what that means. Cause I only care about myself, which is not Sassy, true. But... Sparkly bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but human design, I'm, I go in and out of like how much I care to read into this stuff. Usually what deters me is if something costs money to learn more about, I'm like, lame. No. (laughs) Yeah. Or like if you have to give them your email address to keep reading the article, that's usually my cutoff. "Mm, mm, I'm done here. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But my human design does say that if I'm living in alignment with myself, I'm like living in my emotions, which at first I was like, that's dumb. Who would do that? And I've known what my human design is for like a year now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it. My whole life I've been forced into making split second decisions. And I've had the time to just be 
and simmer in them this last year. And I'm the healthiest I've been in a really, really long time. And I'm like, oh, I get it because I do my initial emotions are something that's going to make you feel happy. Mm. Then my intermediary emotions are usually rage, but like a quiet rage because I'm resentful and I don't realize that because I'm doing things to please other people in the minute, in the moment. Yeah. Um, and then I usually get to the point of being like, nobody's toxic. This was just confusing. Got it. <laughs> Uh, as a people pleaser, I can deeply relate to that. And I am often um, backtracking because it's like, I know what people want me to say and I know what's going to make somebody else happy. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Um, but what does Marley actually want? me? Anyway, we're not here to learn about me. <laughs> how did we even get, how did I bring us here? I, I'm not I sure, don't. but that's okay. We'll bring us back. <laughs> we, all, we all came together, so it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I know two other people here. I'm, I'm safe. Well, I will say Maggie, one hold thing. On. Okay. I need to know Maggie's science real fast. So I just, I was, I was recently <laughs> diagnosed at a fire pit <laughs> <laughs> as a double Libra, which everybody got super excited about. And I have no idea what it means either, Marley. So I'm Googling real quickly. So a double Libra, like Libra sun, Libra moon or Libra sun, Libra rising. I, need I don't to even know. remember that part to be entirely <laughs> honest with you. It Ooh. legitimately. Okay. So. In my very, very quick Google search, uh, people who have Libra for both their sun and their moon signs will be painstakingly fair, super social, ultra optimistic, and, well, pretty lazy at times. (laughs) That sounds like the one. That seems right. Does that feel accurate? That feels offensive is what it feels. Feels like a personal (laughs) attack. A personal attack? Super social, ultra optimistic. There's good (laughs) stuff in there. Exactly. A personal attack because I've been seen. I've been oh. too seen is what has happened here currently. Don't you hate when the internet does that and you're like, whoa. It's yeah. the worst. It's the how, worst. How are we going to survive with AI when the algorithm already gets it? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, actually, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask that question. I do want to talk about AI later when it comes to art yeah. and get your opinion on that. But let's get back into um, what we're here for. Uh <laughs> Actually, real quick before we do, um, you mentioned saying we. I will often say we, um, and then people are like, who's we? And I'm like, oh, right tit, left tit. We're here. I don't really have tits. In fact, I was born lacking one of them. So Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Very. Well, you know, we I'm, all have I'm different... comfortable sharing that. There's a website up for it. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> I also say yeah. we. I'm usually talking about the voices in my head. Which is not as bad as that sounds either, but like, that's fair. We all contain we all contain multitudes, and you know, however that comes out is great. Um, But okay, so our podcast is all bodies on bikes. Uh, We probably should include some bike conversation to keep the the bike people engaged, even though this is an amazing (laughs) conversation. Uh, What's your relationship to bicycles? Yeah, so. I actually hated bikes for a really long time, okay. like really hated them. So I was fearless when I was a kid. Um, so fearless that the first time I broke a bone was two weeks after learning how to pedal a bike at three years old. Oh, wow. I sent it off a BMX jump in somebody's backyard, a, a deep South Georgia BMX jump in somebody's backyard, broke my arm on my little Walmart princess bike with the sparklers like you can visualize it you know curly dirty blonde hair like it was a vibe um broke my arm and nobody tried to make me get back on a bike Mm. until I was 10 um I feel like there's some other backstory here I have my degree in adventure education um and my emphasis was in learning transference so I was my own guinea pig Mm. with this with this example um If you don't help somebody address their trauma, it remains a learning block. And by the time you turn 10, you care what other people think. And that's when you're most likely to start showing signs of anxiety. Interesting. What? <laughs> Prime example of this. Um, it was me. <laughs> um, and my dad was like so mad. He was like, you learned how to ride a bike when you were three. And I was like, we all know what happened when I was three. <laughs> Mm-mm. no 
And it took until I was in high school to enjoy just even riding around on the roads. Like it was such a stress inducing activity for me. I was like, this is terrifying. I have no balance still to this day, unlikely to get on a dirt bike or motorcycle because they go faster and they're still on two wheels. And my brain does not get it. Um, but I tried three or four times to learn mountain biking after moving out here between the ages of 18 and 22. Every time I did that, I would crash on a green section of single track and dislocate something. Like I was, that's not fun. I was demoralized. I was like, this is not my sport. Something's wrong. Um, we can get into that later though, because it was a lot, it had a lot more to do with my health than I realized. Sure. Um, and then as I was getting ready to graduate college, I was obsessed with snow science. Mm. Um, I wanted to be a ski patroller. I was a ski patroller. I got to that my senior year of college um, paid. I wanted to be inundated in the avalanche world. The pandemic happened and it affected things so hard, so hard here words anyways, um, that they were short staffed for bike patrol at the bike park in the winter. And they were like, if you can learn how to manage yourself on a mountain bike, you can be a bike patroller. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, that's like my, like my career aspirations are to be a first responder. I'm going to do it. And so I did. And this go around was, it was the first time I tried mountain biking again, since um, I'd really gotten some health complications under control and suddenly I had this balance and this core strength and like Mm -hmm. this like these mental faculties that I just must not have had the Mm -hmm. first few go-arounds because not only was I slaying these green trails I was going on some pretty technical black downhill trails on a hardtail dang all right and I was having fun and I was like this is great I'm thriving (laughs) Um, the first responder thing failed. I got into coaching, which I found way more joy. Um, and what really is what opened up the bike community to me and all of the amazing, wonderful people in it. And so I no longer am a bike patroller. I'm also no longer a coach, which brings me to, this is my first outdoor activity that purely exists for recreational purposes now. Um, and that's amazing. That is, that's huge. I think so often (laughs) we feel like things can't be just fun. You know, you have to work for it or you have to like be part of a club or you have to do something with it. You know, like for me, it feels like I often have to ride bikes and create for Instagram. Um, so I love that bikes are now just a purely recreational thing for you. It's, it's really fun. And those creeping thoughts come back in of the survival mindset of like, how can I leverage this to make money? Mm. Um, and then I, I've gotten really good at redirecting and being like, that's not the point. If you're going to make money off of this, it'll come to you. Yep. Like stop seeking those out. Um, and so my favorite kind of biking now is things that are equally gratifying for fitness purposes. Like, yeah, I had to kind of try hard to get here, but I'm not like blown out. Um, to then be greeted by, excuse me, <laughs> to then be greeted by something really fun. Um, really, really fun. I love downhill. Um, I don't do jumps yet. Same. Um, I say yet because everybody's like, you're gonna, you're such a baddie. And I'm like, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cautious baddie. Like, That's fair. Self-preservation. Like nobody <laughs> wants a broken arm or a broken collarbone. Like, We've been there. We've done that. Early life experiences. Like I already got it out of the way. (laughs) Exactly. And the older you get, the longer it takes to heal. And we just don't want any of that. No, no. But I do, I do love fast downhill riding. Um, and I'm not a stranger to a pretty solid suffer fest on two conditions. The views have to be pretty Mm -hmm. and there have to be like equal parts, fun and suffer. And that's like pretty good rules. Yeah. yeah. Like I will be uncomfortable for views. I will. I will. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> speaking of probably the best trail I've ever ridden, or this could have been because of the drugs that I took that day, uh, <laughs> but it was actually in Durango um, coming down off of, what is it like Mesa, not Mesa Verde, but wherever we were at. Um, Ewing was, Mesa, I think is what it's called. Yes. So coming down off of Ewing Mesa, that back trail um, back down into town, seriously, one of the top three rides of my life. Um, just the riding and the views and the sunset and probably the the substances I was on. Uh, I honestly believed in God. Like it, that's like the closest I've gotten to like, wow, there is something amazing going on here. Um, have you ever ridden that trail? The one that comes down from Ewing Mesa, probably one of them. There's multiple and it's relatively new. Um, and we're going to have to check how many of them are sanctioned. <laughs> since it's a new park gotcha so maybe i shouldn't have been on that trail but that's okay it was a great ride and i it was just like the the icing on the cake to a perfect day which we'll talk about actually let's let's talk about it now um yeah. we'll talk about you know health and autoimmune here in a minute but you and i met at single speed cyclocross world championships um which was an absolutely wild day. We'll include a link to your photo gallery. Um, you took some of the best photos from that day. And one of the things that I loved is you actually featured the women. Uh, so many of the media outlets that were there didn't cover the women at all. It was like, oh, cool, there's a dude race, and that's it. Um, so A, thank you for covering the women. Um, and B, I am so curious with everything that was going on that weekend – what is your camera drawn to? Like, what what do you want? Like, what catches your attention with a million things happening? Um, I feel like I'm constantly searching for the segue between underrepresentation and importance. And like, what's relatable to a lot of people and what's also going to change this person's day if they get to see themselves doing it. Mm. Um. So there's, that's like the empath side that goes into it. Analytically, I am a sucker for color and emotion. Um, I didn't know this about myself until really recently. If I have the opportunity to very low effort, make something monotoned, I apparently will. Okay. Or okay. is monotoned? Yeah. Mono, monochromatic. Monochromatic. Um which I didn't know about myself until I started doing commercial shoots more regularly. And then I was like, Oh, I really like the, it's nice. I like it. <laughs> and for us, um, non-aware, what does monochromatic mean? Is that like, you know, so, like sepia tone or like black and white or no. So monochromatic is, Oh my gosh. And I'm second guessing myself. phone. <laughs> so if I'm using the right word, I do this all the time monochromatic I'm fairly certain is the appropriate term if it falls within like it would be like a range of yellows gotcha okay yeah a range of blues okay is that monotone or is that monochromatic it's monochromatic because I was looking it up because I was trying to decide <laughs> yeah okay. I'm a sucker for monochromatic same honestly um, <laughs> it's just really nice and it's like clean and simple, but which is weird because I wouldn't consider my style clean and simple in any like level. I'm a very like rugged, gritty, like I like to capture the gritty emotions, turn around and make them look nostalgic and dreamy. Mm -hmm. That's I what that. I love to do. So. So cool. Yeah. And you can, I feel like you can really see that come through your portraits. There's just like this light that's emanating. Um, and I, I love your photos. Um, I'm just fangirling here for a minute. Um, but let's get back to, so in your intro, um, you talked about, you know, the multiple complexities and I forget exactly what word you used, but about um, kind of health and uh, immune or autoimmune syndromes. Um, let's dig into that. What does that mean for you? Yeah. So um, I have a range of autoimmune activities going on in my body. Um, I have been diagnosed and then had diagnoses revoked. 
multiple times in my very young adulthood. Like I remember I'm only 28 and I think three or four times now I've been given a diagnosis and then it's been taken away. Oh, wow. Um, because it's all based on, you know, hard metric data, but autoimmune conditions are not hard data. They are slithery little snakes that are just making life confusing and weird. Um, my mom, my biological mother has tons, tons. I think she has something to the tune of 15 wow. autoimmune diseases. Um, and most autoimmune diseases are genetic, um, either because of the certain part of your DNA that has to be activated um, or they're finding out too that there can be a predisposition because of like epigenetics and therefore trauma. Mm. And so if something is activated way down the line, that gets to carry through, um, which is unfortunate, but it's how science works. So <laughs> who am I to tell science not to science? <laughs> um, but basically I don't have a solid... I'm going to call it a mother disease. Sure. I don't really know what else to like call it. An overarching diagnosis. So, yeah. So I was diagnosed with asthma at 16. Um, I've had a positive rheumatoid factor for going on about two years now. Um, And I'll explain what all this means here in a second. Um, I have Renaud's and I have so many food allergies and intolerances Mm -hmm. that it's honestly kind of ridiculous Um, and the thing about autoimmune diseases is that these are symptoms of usually like a bigger issue going on, which would be the mother disease. Um, things like this tend to be like lupus, Hashimoto's, um, rheumatoid arthritis can be one, but with the diseases that I know are genetic in my family, rheumatoid arthritis is often a symptom. It's like a comorbidity that develops because of the other stuff. And so I've been in this nifty little um, mystery bracket for coming up on just shy of a decade. Wow. Um, where my doctor acknowledges that autoimmune activity is going on in my body. A few blood tests will corroborate that, um, but no blood tests are definite enough to retain a diagnosis. Mm. Um, and so that is really mentally challenging because I gaslight myself all the time. I've literally straight up made myself violently ill from eating food Mm. because if I don't have a diagnosis, if I'm not sick, I should be able to eat whatever I want. Sure. I'm a, I'm a foodie. So I feel strongly about that. No, I cannot eat whatever I want. Um, Otherwise, you're on the floor of an Airbnb seeing tacos, and you don't really want that. No. No. It's not a good time. (laughs) Um, And so it's added this extra layer to my life of having to be hyper self-aware and operating on a spoon system. Do y'all know what spoons are? I do. And I love that philosophy, but please tell us more. So I don't know where it came from initially. Like I don't know the origins of the spoon system, but the spoon system is essentially everybody is given 10 spoons at the start of their day, at the start of each day. Um, And if you are a healthy person and you don't deal with mental health issues physical health issues and you don't have to deal with systemic oppression, like basically anything that requires extra steps, your spoons go further. Um, And then if you have an illness and or a forced, um, just, I don't know how to say that other than like racism is going to cost you more spoons. Like if you are on the end of racism, you have to spend more spoons to like live your life the same degree as other people. And so 
the spoon system is essentially knowing that if you're using a spoon to do something, is it your first spoon of the day? Or are you borrowing from the next day's spoons? So, and things that make you happy can like salvage your spoons. So if you're on one spoon and something takes four spoons, but it is like, it fills your cup, you can do that activity. But say you have one spoon and your option is to go socialize with friends, which fills your cup or do the dishes and they both cost four spoons. Guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to do the dishes. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like that. And it's been changing mindsets, changing priorities, shifting viewpoints, worldviews, perspectives on what was it, what would an undisciplined me use my spoons on and how do I better know how to use my spoons to be healthy, happy, and successful in life. Yep. As a professional athlete, quote unquote, but somebody who goes to these events and has to be on, um, I have found that mindset to be incredibly helpful of, you know, I've got four days at let's say unbound or sea otter, Mm -hmm. whatever you name it. And I know that, you know, a bunch of these spoons are going to be taken up by the actual ride itself. How else do I allocate my time to make sure that I can still do my job, do what I need to do and also not, you know, have to recover for two weeks afterwards. Um, cause I don't know about you, but for me, that's a big mindset of like, I can go do this thing, but then I'm going to be in bed for two days. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know if I have any autoimmune disease. I have suspicions. I've never been diagnosed, but a lot of the things that you're saying resonate a lot. Um, well, it's hard, especially because with autoimmune diseases, the main thing is that your immune system is overactive and overcompensating for something and making mistakes in the process. And so I feel like for, it makes people go crazy because if you are actively trying to get ahead of what you don't even know is there, um, you do feel like you're weaving in and out of it and that you're Mm -hmm. losing your mind. Like I have severely altered my diet for absolute gold and like the results have been golden. It has absolutely been worth it and has given me back some semblance of a normal functional life. Um, which is probably what has prolonged a definite diagnosis is because I'm ahead of it. And Western medicine doesn't create space to acknowledge when people have used nutrition to get ahead of something. And I, I say this very cautiously and you know, your own body best because changing your diet, isn't going to fix the problem for everybody. If you are doing your best and things are still hard, own that. Yeah. Like don't, don't try to prove yourself. Um, but for me, I wasn't taking care of my body the best way I could. I figured out how, and it, it was a game changer for me. And it has prolonged um, definitely a more severe degree. It has put off a more severe degree of disability because I do consider myself disabled, which took a long time to admit. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about like your day to day. You know, how how have you had to change things? Is it workload? Is it sleep? You know, you obviously talked about food, um, but mm-hmm. as a as a storyteller, as a a photographer as a cyclist how does it impact your day-to-day yeah so it looks a lot like I call it a departure from the self um because I'm still pretty young so I'm still in tune with um, young and idyllic ideas and dreams and realities that I would love to feed into and so a departure from myself looks like knowing that it does me no good to want to go on this mountain bike ride when I know that I, it doesn't serve me. And so I, I wear this thing called a whoop. Um, W H O O P. It's a heart rate variability tracker and health tracker. And it has become one of the most validating things in my life because it tells me day over day, how much I've recovered, which I think it's been, it's become one of the new main staples in how I dictate my day-to-day life. Because Mm. I will say as somebody with ADHD, um, I'm scattered and impulsive and at times appear undisciplined and lazy. And then when you like throw in being completely exhausted and fatigued from an autoimmune disease, it can be hard even within myself to determine which one of those I'm struggling with. And now that I have my whoop, 
I'm like, I don't want to go on this mountain bike ride. And I'll convince myself that it's because I'm in a low recovery day. And mm. then I'll look at my whoop and I'll be like, oh, I'm not. And then it it's opened up this entire other world for me to focus on what I want to work on. Um, and so I feel like I'm getting really rambly and scattered. Well, let me ask you a quick this. question about that. Um, yeah. So as you, like, if your whoop says, you know, hey, you're, you're actually having a great day. How do you um, make the decision if you're going to go ride or not? Do you say like, okay, my data says this, but my body's telling me this thing. How do you make that decision? Yeah. So I'll do a body scan and check in with myself on why I don't want to go ride. I'd say that most of the times if my recovery is really good and mentally, I'm like, I don't want to go ride. It's probably because in the past three days I've had a little recovery day mm. and um, I'm still in the mindset of feeling like lit or maybe my body does not feel good. Lack of movement is so to my detriment mm. all of the time. Um, in fact, my whoop has helped me notice that if I have three hard days of activity and three days of in or not and or three days of inactivity, they will result in the same low recovery rate at the end of those three days, mm. which I find fascinating. And then I have to move and my body's happy again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. So we were having a conversation with Ellen Noble this morning, um, who yeah. also she has Hashimoto's disease. And we were talking about exactly that, you know, even just a 20 minute walk can totally mm -hmm. reset everything. Um, and it makes me feel like I need to go walk. I've been sitting all day long. Um, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And so often we think about movement as like, oh, I have to sweat. My heart rate has to be at certain. No, like just move your body. It feels good for everybody, um, regardless of what that movement is. Yeah. So I would say that intentional movement is a really big part of how I deal with that. So I'm really conscientious about what I eat. I'm on what's called uh, the paleo autoimmune diet. Okay. And so I don't eat grains really. I don't eat beans. I can't eat tomatoes or corn. Corn's a grain, but I can't eat tomatoes. Um, yeah, like a, a nightshade basically. Yeah. So for instance, I can't have jalapenos every day for a meal, but jalapenos have a lesser effect on me than tomatoes. So if I want to have jalapenos, um, on a bunless burger, I can send it. And just know that jalapenos are off the table for the next few days. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's all about knowing what your body's going to react to and for how long that reaction is going to last and to what degree. And there's just some stuff that like, I'll probably never be able to eat tomatoes again. I don't know. Yeah. But I have not successfully reintroduced them after four years. And so I assume that I won't be able to. Um, and then sleep. I have to hit a sweet spot on sleep. Oversleeping has the same effect as inactivity on me. Mm, okay. And so if I, if I sleep more than 10 hours, even nine hours, if I sleep more than nine hours and I don't need that sleep to recover from something, I feel like trash. I do not feel good. And the other side of that window is if I get less than six and a half, I don't feel good. So six um. and a half to like eight, <laughs> right on the, right on the money for what science tells you to get. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's constantly carrying the weight of knowing my own stats in my head. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just want to commend you for being so in tune with that. Cause I think for, I mean, I'm 36, almost 37 and I'm just now figuring this out. You're almost a full decade younger than me. And I just think about, you know, if I would have paid attention to what my body was telling me 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of the the hardship that I've struggled with could have been avoided. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I Did I answer your question? Today? You did. You did a great job. And thank you for being so vulnerable and so open. <laughs> yeah. um, we've gotten requests for to interview folks with autoimmune disorders um, or syndromes. Um, and I think you talk about it so eloquently. Um, and I think a lot of folks are going to hear themselves in your story. So thank you for sharing. Can I actually add one more thing? Please. Um, only because this has come up in conversation with folks here um, who say that I give off this aura of like, how could you ever be sick? You do all of these cool things. Um. And the reason I bring that up is because keyword is invisible. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm a generally optimistic person. Um, and so oftentimes, if you don't know that somebody's sick and you just say, oh, you don't seem sick, it almost feels like you don't see them. Mm-hmm. Because if you do see them, you see it. Like my friends get it. If I'm in a bad mood, I'm not in a bad mood. I'm out of spoons. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, it's not their responsibility to know all of the time, all of the things about all of the people. Like I do have self-accountability in that regard, but invisible illness isn't as invisible as people want to believe it is. Mm. The signs are all there. Um, And so when people say that I look like I'm such a competent, healthy athlete, all that plays through my head is you should have seen me 10 years ago. Yeah. And what sacrifices did you have to make to be able to appear that way today? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not invisible. Yeah. It's just not surface level. (laughs) So that's, I just wanted to add that. Thank you. So as we kind of wrap up this episode, um, we do want to spend a little bit of time talking about your filmmaking and your creative vision. Um, And I'm going to let Maggie ask some questions about that. Fantastic. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your creative vision? Because we want to know what goes on when you're, when you're out and you're, you're doing your thing. You're in your sweet spot. Yeah. um, I'm fully consumed by like the people that my camera's focused on um, or the events or the landscape. Um, Sometimes I feel like my creative vision is almost not even my own. I just feel like a funnel through which the experiences of life are coming through and being Mm -hmm. made permanent, Mm. Um, which sounds really weird, but for me, it's because all of the interconnectedness of what goes on, it all matters so much. And we don't always see that it matters when it's happening. Like you could find a photo of you as a child. And for most of your life, that mundane moment has been whatever, right? It just, it doesn't carry much weight. You don't really think about it. And then one day in your adulthood, when things are just insane and heavy and overwhelming, you can come across this photo and it's perspective changing. Um, And so my creative vision is to just document things as honestly and authentically as possible and as much of an honest variety as possible. Um, My childhood dream was to be a National Geographic photographer. Um, That since shifted mostly because I could never lay on the grass for six hours and take a photo of, of a big cat. And not that that's like, not that that's like the Holy grail for being a national geographic photographer, but I've realized since that like <laughs> I'm on the people and event side of things and like storytelling that way. Um, but my creative vision is, let me backpedal. My creative vision is a world where all stories are relevant, all stories hold water, and all of the storytellers who should be telling them have access to the resources they need mm-hmm. to like get that out. Um, like a career aspiration for me is actually to open a version of like a nonprofit media house mm. um, okay. in the Southwest where people can come to get guidance, instruction, resources, gear, and tell the stories they know that need to be told. It's such a crazy barrier to get into. And even when there seems like there's a lot of people, it feels like there's a lot of hoops to jump through to connect those dots and find the right people that you mesh with and that are going to help you learn and grow and be a mentor. Um, so, yeah, I I just kind of feel like a funnel for the greater things sometimes. Um, my human design is a generator. And I'm just trying to generate opportunity for others. Sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, um, what kind of what kind of stories specifically do you most like to get involved with, and are you most excited to be telling through your lens? Am, am I allowed to 
I am. Okay. I think I know what you're about to get into. (laughs) I don't, but you can do whatever you want. So, (laughs) um, so I'm super excited because when I met Marley at single speed worlds, um, she was like, Hey, you know, you can, uh, I'd love to work with you. Like, don't get me wrong and are cool, but, uh, (laughs) no, they're not pretty neat. (laughs) You heard it here first folks. I mean, really, if I have the option to like pick who I'm going to work with, I want to work with women, um, especially for storytelling and telling my story. So it matters because it's a different perspective. Yep. If everything was recorded by men, you're only seeing things through the male gaze, quite literally. Yeah. And that's why it's problematic. So the kinds of stories that I like to tell, for instance, are stories that involve human connection and introspection. And so... I emailed Marley after thinking about it for literally almost six months. (laughs) And I was like, what is your story? I'd like to tell it. (laughs) Um, And so we're working on pulling together this film and funding for this film. Um, That's basically a a redemption ride for her, but also just painting the magnificent story that she has brought to life in in just over half a decade. I'm like, so excited for it. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so um, if anybody's listening, sorry, I'm going to step in here. Um, and you want to help <laughs> us fund this. Absolutely. Um, we're going to, we're going to follow me on a bike packing trip through uh, Glacier National Park that I tried to do um, about five years ago. And I ended up um, kind of modifying my ride halfway through because I didn't believe that I was capable of this climb. Um, And we'll get into that in the film, of course. I don't want to give too many spoilers. Um, And then kind of follow that down to Steamboat Gravel and talk to some of the athletes that we have brought out as part of the All Bodies on Bikes team and how, you know, my initial story of failure or not feeling like I was good enough has since inspired the work that I'm doing now. And it's going to be amazing. It is. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So stories, stories like that. Those are the stories that I like to tell. Um, And that's not the only one I'm trying to make. uh, What's the TikTok word now? Legibitoqua. What? Yes. (laughs) Legibitoqua. Legibitoqua. We love that. Okay. Now I get what you're saying. Yep. The the old lady in the the conversation had to. You're doing great. So LGBTQIAAAA or exactly you got it like focus ski film which I'm still working on cool but it's just elevating these voices and these personalities and these identities and these humans that exist in these spaces that we just don't get to hear from or they're whitewashed or they're straight washed or they're greenwashed when there's actually nothing that green about it. And it's like all of these things that just are inauthentic or are surface level. I'm, I, as somebody who is in the thick of it in the outdoor industry has come in and out of it multiple times on multiple varying degrees. I'm sick of how surface level things are. Mm. Um, the level of just feigned grit is driving me insane don't get me wrong i am an autoimmune girly with autoimmune problems things get a little grittier for me in the backcountry than other people i understand that my perception and perspective on activities outside are a little bit more heinous than the average joe um i also don't care about the average joe though yeah same and when 30 percent of americans are likely to face a chronic illness by the end of their lifetime when like just this obscene number of vital community members continuously get systemically oppressed for no reason and then get tokenized to make somebody else money. Like I'm, I'm over it. Those aren't the stories that belong in the history books. Preach. And they're not, they're, they're not the stories that bring us together because when you're watching them and they're getting old and they're feeling trivialized and overplayed, it's because they are. Yeah. It was cute for a while and it is supposed to be fun, but it's not fun when you feel left out. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. That makes me think about, um, I went to a film festival. I've been to a lot of film festivals recently, especially since all bodies on bikes has come out. Um, 
And it's remarkable the differences in filmmaking. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks are, are doing a better job bringing in diverse genders and diverse stories. Um, and yet it's often still the same story told over and over again, um, especially in the mountain bike world. Um, I am thinking specifically, and I don't want to call anybody out, um, but there was a film that I felt like had potential to be so awesome. And it ended up just being like three women basically being bike bros and shredding for five minutes. And it was like, cool, you guys can ride really well, but what else is, what else are you doing? What else is the story? Yeah. So, and let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get me wrong as a filmmaker and a photographer and a storyteller, I understand the importance of those things because we do need feel good media. We do need feel good art. Um, but feel good art loses its potency when it's not matched with just realness. Um, this like toxic positivity culture of no mm-hmm. bad days, of who's the fittest, of who can go the farthest. Like, cool. <laughs> who's a better human because of their experience on the bike? Yeah. Who was yeah. not a good human because of their experience on the bike? Like, what like i think one of the the intersectionality of it all it's also intertwined and time and time again it's the feel-good stuff that gets elevated and mass produced and mass put out and the feel-good stuff is only a tiny piece of an intricate puzzle Definitely. Yeah. And I'm hoping that when we make this film, um, it's not just the uh, highlights that are shown because I'm sure, you know, with any kind of outdoor bikepacking, whatever adventure, there are those low moments. There are those tears, at least for me, those tears that come and the self-doubt and, um, you know, questioning what it is that we're doing out here. Yeah. Yeah. I personally have met very few people that like to play in the woods that didn't have to go through hell to get there. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so it's not just it's not the peak moments aren't even the good moments it's just like with every step i'm like oh my gosh i'm still taking steps yep there was yeah. a time when i didn't think that was gonna happen let's yeah. go <laughs> totally oh my gosh. um well right this has been such a wide-ranging conversation and <laughs> insightful and i'm just so grateful to have met you out there um at single speed worlds um, so as we close out, we have two questions that we ask every single guest. Um, I'm going to ask the first one. and No, actually, I'm going to make Maggie ask the first one uh, just to mess things up yeah. a little bit. Great. I'm just going to go ahead and ask the first one then. Um, your perfect ideal day on the bike. What does that look like? Oh, my gosh. Um, my perfect ideal day on the bike, I think, would be... Somewhere there has to be a river okay, or a creek or stream, a source of water that runs mm-hmm. that's accessible. So I can go sit by it at some point. Um, but I would love for a really good body day to line up with a really long bike day mm. so that okay. I could just be out on my bike for a full 12 hours and enjoy it and eat snacks whenever I want to. And have some fun downhill single track friends with friends would be great. Um, whenever I visualize these days, so I don't usually visualize them with friends because my abilities are different than other people's abilities on long bike days. Um, so normally when I'm like a full 12 hour day, it's I'm visualizing it by myself, and which is also okay because I, I love hanging out with myself. I think I'm pretty cool. I think I'm pretty funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I like, I take time. I'm a photographer. Obviously I take time. I still have to take pictures and stare at the flower. <laughs> yes. Same. And so just like all of the time in the world to just be, be in nature, appreciate nature, have my snacks. I'm a snacky, snacky human. Um, and sit by the water. Um, I like when pikas come out to talk. So it'd probably honestly be somewhere in the high country so they could talk to pikas. Mm, okay. Cute. Um, yeah. So that's my, that's my ideal bike day. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we've talked about a whole lot of different things and we all contain multitudes. Uh, but what is something that you wish you got to talk about more? 
Ooh, <laughs> I looked at that one and I honestly kind of dreaded it because I talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that I want to talk more. I, I'd like to talk more about how it's not other people's responsibility to feel bad for the chronically ill. Okay. Okay. Like we should be able to choose our own risks, choose our own adventures, choose, you know, choose your own fun. Um, without having to worry that somebody else has assumed that we are the liability in a group or a setting or an environment. We might be, okay. but we're not the only one. Yeah. Men are stupid. Like I have gone to many events and been in many groups where quite frankly, a logical person would look at this group, not knowing that I'm sick and be able to pin- pinpoint who is the most obvious risk. It's not me. <laughs> yeah. Like, and not only that, like it's just, so yeah, I I would love to talk more about how people that deal with chronic illnesses are put in this catch-22 of whether or not they should share it because it's going to make everything different yeah, for, for how sure. people treat them. And in some ways it's needed and in other ways it's unwarranted. And I think it comes back to people not asking others what is needed of them. They just assume. People like to be saviors of other people and they just need to ask. Yep. Just need to ask what people need. And stop assuming. So, yep. Well, on that note, uh, I think we're going to close it out. That Absolutely. Is so perfect. I think that's good advice for anybody. Stop assuming and ask, um, which can go for so many different things in life. Um, Rye, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, where can folks find you if they want to find out more information, hire you, fund your film? Um, my website is wildchildmedia.co, not.com dot co um co <laughs> and we'll have a link to that and my all things bikes and shenanigans um instagram is rye photo um and if you want to fund our film that would be pretty cool um <laughs> you can also reach out to those for that i think it'd be pretty neat um i also want to say one more thing please about uh just because I feel bad for saying men are stupid. It's not like an aggressive men are stupid thing. It's just that scientifically speaking, logistically, historically, more impulsive decisions are made by folks with more testosterone. And it's a risk. Yeah. And <laughs> Inherently. Of course. And we're saying that tongue in cheek. You know, we've all got experiences yeah. and we've all been to the bike race where it's like, okay, you probably shouldn't send it off that thing. And then you watch dude after dude repeatedly do it and hurt themselves and there is a common denominator there (laughs) risk versus reward and i'm so happy that that risk was rewarding for you (laughs) basically basically think about it and if when you heard us say men are stupid if that bothered you you need to look at it a little deeper because if you're taking it shallower (laughs) either way you know we're just if it bums you out are you the problem? Think about that just as like for 10 seconds. I don't know. And there goes half our listening audience. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun co-hosting this with you. I'm she's she's been canceled. It's done now. Yep, on that. <laughs> um, but I think you guys know what we're saying with that. We're not trying to offend anybody. Yeah. Uh we're just being tongue in cheek and you know, Rise really trying to elevate uh underrepresented folks and stories that you haven't heard, and often those are not white cisgendered men is i think a good way to sum that up yeah so um cool thank you again so much for your time i'm gonna stop recording uh and i hope people will go follow you and fund your film and look into all the badass things that you talked about thank you so much me too This is an All Bodies on Bikes podcast powered by Feisty Media. The show is produced by Maggie and Marley and edited by the team at Feisty Media. Thanks for listening.